Pathway to Pride, celebrating Pride Month on Beat 102-103. Today is a social revolution in Irish history. It's not just a referendum. You know, Ireland has come out and has made a change for the better. We were always expecting it to be kind of just this close thing where it was kind of just going to be like a 50% here and kind of that, but to well, see 80 to see 80% and 90%. By doing this, Ireland has become the first country to introduce same-sex marriage by a popular vote in a referendum. We're not just like the conservative little Catholic country right now, like we've accepted the LGBTQ community home by popular vote, which has never happened That's in the world. The Irish people, not the governments, not the court, but the Irish people themselves have spontaneously come and welcomed us on board as gay people. Yes Equality, the campaign for civil marriage equality in Ireland, launched on Monday 9th of March 2015. Their aim was to lead the campaign to win the marriage equality referendum with just under 10 weeks until the country goes to the polls. CEO of LGBT Ireland and Director of Volunteer Engagement for the campaign, Paula Fagan. Just over two months to recruit really a a campaign team for the national office and then we started to try and recruit people to campaign across the country and we ended up recruiting over 2,000 people. But it was easy recruitment because everybody wanted to help. You know, the, the closer it got to the referendum, then we literally couldn't keep up with the number of people that were trying to volunteer, which was amazing. It's hard to believe now because it wasn't such a success, but it was very stressful. It was, it was, we were very worried. We knew we had an awful lot of work to do. At that stage, it was only a handful of people. So I think once we got the office, we got the office in early March, and then it began to feel more like a campaign. You see, I suppose some of us have been working on it for 10 years with marriage equality. So we were seeing, obviously, the, the acceptance and, and the support grow. I suppose we began to see then the droves of people coming in to volunteer. So so people were coming in for all over the place. They were saying, like, I'm giving up my work for four weeks. I've taken all my annual leave. What do you need me to do? So that gave us great hope. And I think we began to see, look, this is possible. And then as the Yes Quality campaigns began to coordinate around the country, we were getting feedback from the doors every night from the campaign, from the canvassing teams. Two thirds of the doors knocked on tonight were yes. Do you know, so slowly it began to seem more possible. And obviously then some of the un- more surprising people began to come out and support a yes vote. So I, I remember the day well when say for example Daniel O'Donnell said I'm going to vote yes and this is why and when those kind of unexpected people said yes again that gave us great hope. Before the original marriage equality campaign came to fruition in the early noughties, gay rights in Ireland had already come so far. Homosexuality was a criminal offence on the island of Ireland until 1983, where it was first legally recognised in the north. This was the first beacon of hope for gay rights in the country. Almost 10 years later, in 1993, homosexuality was decriminalised in the Republic. The campaign for homosexuality Homosexual law reform success took years of hard work and perseverance from phenomenal activists nationwide throughout the 1970s and 1980s. David Norris was one of those people. I'm 75, so I remember what it was like being a gay man in the 1950s. And I can tell you it wasn't fun. First of all, there was a complete silence on the issue. And this came about really from the church. The church in the Middle Ages described homosexuality as uh, that sin, illud horribile, 
non non nominandum inter Christianos. That sin so horrible it must never be mentioned among Christians. And so, like many people of my generation, I grew up thinking I was a monster and that I was the only one. You know, it was a, a really terribly isolating uh, situation and, and rather frightening. I remember the wonderful feeling of relief when I went to the first meeting and I saw all these other lovely, ordinary uh, gay men. It was, it, it was a wonderful feeling of relief. One of the principal things that I fed into the action was I insisted that we introduce expert witnesses from all over the world. So we had the head of the American Psychiatric Association. We had the Regents Professor of Psychiatry in the University of Cambridge. We had Rose Robertson, the head of, of, of Parents' Inquiry in London. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people who gave factual information. And that did actually break the silence because it was plastered all over the new front page of the newspapers every day for about a week. And that was wonderful. And of course, we got a rather interesting judgment from the judge, Judge McWilliam. Uh, he said he accepted all our evidence. He said there was a surprisingly large number of gay people in Ireland, that we weren't less intelligent, we weren't child molesters, we weren't any of these sort of things, we weren't pedophiles, all this blah, blah, blah. But then at the end of it, he took a swerve and he said, nevertheless, Despite this, because of the Christian and democratic nature of the Constitution, I have to find against the plaintiff. And that led us off to the European Court of Human Rights, where we won, but we won by one vote. Only one vote out of over 20 votes, with the Irish judge shamefully voting against us. The gay rights movement had finally achieved what they'd set out to do and succeeded in having the outdated law criminalising homosexuality abolished. David's basis for argument against the criminalisation of homosexuality was that it violated sections of Article 40 in the Irish Constitution, which guarantees the integrity of personal rights. The lack of action to bring the law into effect only highlighted the imbalance that still existed for homosexual citizens in Ireland and the lack of balance and equality continued throughout the 1990s and not with marriage law being just one of these imbalances. The Irish nation took to the polls on the 22nd of May 2015 to vote on the legalisation of same-sex marriage. I suppose it was a very emotional day, the day of the vote. On the one hand, it was very hopeful and it was very optimistic. Our kids were young at the time, like they're still young, but they were five and eight or something at the time. And we went up and it was kind of celebratory. It felt quite celebratory. You could feel it walking into the polls as well, like people were smiling and happy. So you kind of got a sense, well, they must be voting yes, because they're hardly that happy to be voting no, do you know? <laughs> we met with Meninia Griffith and her partner. So Meninia was the director of marriage equality, so had worked on the campaign for 10 years, and her partner, and they had just a baby girl. Two families lived in together. Look at me, I'm, re- I'm emotional even talking about it. But anyway, it was a great moment, I suppose, in terms of having worked on something for so long and then to be there and then I suppose we began to see the the home to vote and I think that was where that was incredible. The idea that so many young people and by no means all of them gay came back not just from England but from Canada, from America, from Australia, from New Zealand that was absolutely fantastic. Deep down in myself I because I have a lot of internalized homophobia from growing up not being out until my mid-20s I was like, we're not going to win. <laughs> when we went into the Kent Centre by 10 o'clock, Noel Whelan was there, who was like our guru. <laughs> and he said, no, no, it's, he said, one, like. Majority of votes in favour of the proposal, 
467,307. <laughs> On the 23rd of May 2015, Ireland had voted in favour of same-sex marriage. The 34th Amendment of the Constitution Act 2015 amended the Constitution of Ireland to permit marriage to be contracted by two people without distinction to their sex. It made Ireland the first country in the world to make same-sex marriage legal by popular vote, with 62% voting yes. Votes in favour of the proposal... 1,201,607. It means the absolute world. Like, we're the first country in the world to legalise this by popular vote. I honestly thought it was going to be tighter, and we hoped and we dreamed that it was going to be the kind of results we've had and dreams have come true today, so we've never been happier. We've come so far since, like, you know, the, the scared little 15-year-olds. Like, we're not just, like, that conservative little Catholic country right now. Like, we've accepted the LGBTQ community home by popular vote, which has never happened in the world. And that's, that's amazing. You literally couldn't get a flight from most UK airports from Ryanair um, on Friday. Um, it's like they were all still there. Um, afterwards, you know, the streets all closed off. I mean, the whole carnival atmosphere carnival. that was there. Um, it was like was, Italian was that, We said it was like, like Italian night for the gays. Richard Dowling and Cormac Galogli recall the momentous day. Little did they realise that soon their names would become cemented in Irish history along with the remarkable result as the first married same-sex couple in the Republic of Ireland. Of course, the elation came across us that um, the yes vote was a guaranteed vote. We were so madly in love as well. We always knew, even from a very early age, that we would love to get married. And we had always seen our families uh, growing up. While we were growing up, our families getting married, aunts, uncles, um, older cousins and whatnot. So, of course, it was always something that everybody has in their mind, including us. And we were so in love. That was what everyone in love does. And we got engaged in uh, Sitges in, um, outside Barcelona then in 2009 and turned around and I got down on one knee and I said, Cormac John Rangalogli, will you marry me? And I hadn't marry out of my mouth and he had put me up to my up on my feet and, and yes, yes, yes. For us, it was an interesting time because of course we had planned to be married and we had been engaged for a few years before that year, before 2015. And we had put the place down in Tipperary, a lovely venue, and we had set the date and it was for um, September the uh, 18th, uh, 2015. I'm the senior register in South Tipperary for seven marriages. 
and I met Cormac and Richard first through uh, their request to have a civil partnership ceremony in Kilchain House in Banja. But they didn't want to wait. They were afraid it wouldn't come into being. They decided to go ahead with a civil partnership and said, look, if we ever can get married, we will come back to you. And so that's what they did when the amendment of the constitution was passed in the referendum on May, in May in 2015. The act came into force in November. She's a lovely, lovely person. You could not get a nicer person for a registrar to marry people. And it must be one of the nicest jobs to have because you're you're celebrating love every day, effectively. You know, so I, I really and she is the perfect person for that job. She is such a good hearted person. I couldn't imagine a better person for it. A truly glorious day with our friends and family. I mean, all of our friends still speak of it. And we have the happiest memory from the 18th of September. And in truth, we consider that to be our wedding day. Cormac and Richard were back in Tipperary mid-November that year for a short trip just weeks after their civil partnership celebrations. They got back in touch with Mary Claire that week to make arrangements for their legal marriage certificate, what they always wanted. We literally got into the Birkstedts and Marriages office in Clonmel Hospital. The whole office was full of media and journalists and photographers and the Times and Irish television and, you know, it was just incredible. I mean, it's probably the only time in my life and Cormac's life that we, we, we have been asked, who are you wearing? You know, so thankfully we had dressed for the occasion. We weren't expecting it and we weren't looking for it. It is a very humbling experience. And an honour, really. An honour. An now, that's what I was trying to get, an honour an honor just, just to be part of Irish history as by consequence, not design, you know. Um, of course, it's very important that, you know, for us as a couple, but I think what's more important is that it was the passing of something that for, for every gay, gay couple who want to marry, to have the chance now, I think, and for Cormac and I, marriage was very important that we get up in front of our friends and family and be able to have that moment to say that we are committed to one another for, for our lifetime. That's where the true honour is, is that we are married and we were allowed to marry in our, in our own country. We're very, very grateful to everyone for all of the hard work that was put in. And it really was and is a great turning point for Ireland and something we're all very proud of, I think, um, for all Irish people for to be celebrating and something that was so positive. And it is a celebration of love. Ultimately, that's what the whole ceremony is about. I'm delighted to, ha- to have been chosen by Cormac and Richard to do the ceremony. So glad for the guys and uh, so glad for all those people to have that equality with the rest of us that sometimes we take so much for granted. And yeah, I did, I did get the, the stick for it, I suppose. I got kind of hate mail, you know, very personal insulting remarks that was very frightening and also affected my colleagues in work. So I really understood how difficult it is for people that are marginalised. And, you know, people people always hate change. You know, they fear it. They nearly cling to the status quo, even if it's bad. And, you know, that's something that I suppose both sides of this equation with people able to look at the person and say, look, you're a great person. I don't care what it is about you, whatever it is. Does it matter whether we're black, white, gay, lesbian? We need to just embrace the fact that we're all basic humans and we all have the same rights and should be afforded the same dignity as everybody else. 
The marriage equality referendum in 2015 was a world first. Ireland was the first country to vote for same-sex marriage by popular vote, but it was not the only world first to come from this landmark moment in history. The following year, a nationwide report was published, a groundbreaking study of mental health of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex people in Ireland. The LGBT Ireland report was the result of a partnership between Glen, Belong To, the National Office for Suicide Prevention and Trinity College Dublin. The world's first national LGBTI youth strategy originated on the island of Ireland. My name is Debbie O'Rourke and I work with Waterford and South Tipperary Community Youth Service. Three years ago now, they started developing the LGBTI youth strategy. And that was a really focused piece of work around hearing from LGBT young people about what they need. And then really putting that, putting that together for the first time ever in terms of government policy about how we would look at responding to that. Like a world's first one thing that came up really strongly was that people who work with LGBTI young people were saying they didn't know what to do. And this was kind of professionals like could be a doctor, could be a counsellor, could be a teacher, like across the board. Professionals were saying there's a gap here in terms of what we know and how, how we understand how to work with LGBT young people. Part of my role is to work with Chill Out, which is our LGBT youth project. Young people are welcome to join Chill Out from wherever they live. When the phone rings, it could be absolutely anyone. LGBT young people are not only in the LGBT group, they're also LGBT in their other groups. LGBT young people don't just appear on a Sunday, you know, they exist all the time. And like we work with 10 to 24 year olds. What we do in the group follows what the young people need or what they're interested in. It can be quite difficult for young people and they've got all of their struggles and challenges. But their struggles and challenges is not all that they are as well. So it's really important that they have a space that's about having fun and meeting their peers as well as getting support for the things that are not easy. Tipperary's Gerard Redden and Wexford's Emma Whitty work with LGBT youth and adult groups in the region. They know firsthand just how important services like these are for those seeking help. We wouldn't be in roles if they, if, they, if it wasn't needed. We have people every day and we know by reports that there's still supports needed, you know. And even just someone connecting in via an email or a text or if they don't want, if they can't come to a group or they can't get to a group or they're afraid to come to the group or even just having a chat on the phone, you know, that is, is something for someone's mental health, you know. So that's why I suppose the coffee and chat, the groups are there as a support network. But the coffee and chat is like an open space where you can just come along and chat and have a coffee and you don't have to kind of talk about what's going on. In in Wexford, I mean, our youth services go across the county. Um, so we have two LGBT-specific projects. And because we have projects all across Wexford, you know, with, with various uh, target groups and stuff, you know, one thing that is consistent across them all is that they're safe and supportive and, and non-judgmental spaces for young people. So we want to make sure that they're safe, that they're supported, that they feel supported and that they feel connected. That space within FGIS might be their only space in the week that they can actually be themselves because it is a really tough time for young people at the moment. Um, a lot of them are in, you know, in unsupportive homes. They may not be out to their parents or to their families yet. Some young people have issues that they need to speak about on a one-to-one -one basis. So they would come to me 
and they would make an appointment with myself and it would usually just to be just to, to discuss things like if if they're not out they want to to have support around coming out um or they might be going through through bits and pieces at home that they need to talk out it's also a space for me to be able to promote other services to them if they need a little bit of, a little bit of extra, extra help in terms of mental health or you know if i think they they might need counseling it's about equipping them with all of the information and allowing them then to make their own decision but i think a, a key point to, to that side of the work is is just to make sure that they have all the information that that we have and that they can choose from that information what they want to do my name's Rebecca Carberry and I'm a youth worker with Ossery Youth Services in Kilkenny. We work with young people really aged between 11 to 24. Our LGBT plus group is called Open Door. At the moment we have sort of 20 members on the books, but most of our meetings we'd have maybe 15 to 18 people turn up. And we run it every Thursday night in our centre from 6.30 to 8. I think a big part of it is uh, having somewhere to go um, and, and be yourself. For a lot of young people, they, they might not be out yet or they, they're, so they're sort of maybe hiding who they are a little bit. And it means that they can come along and, and be who they are and be around other people who are like them. It's a really safe space and there's sort of one-to-one support if they need it. It's also, I think, for people who, who maybe are questioning their gender identity, it can be a safe space to try that out. So sometimes you'll get young people that come along and we start most sessions, we'll start with a, with a round of introductions where you, you say your name and your preferred pronoun. Sometimes that could give a young person a chance to try out a new name or a new pronoun and just to see how that starts to feel for them. We go to Pride every year, so there's great disappointment this year because it's really, really important for, for young people. Usually with Pride being such a, such a visual festival, it can be a real time that, that people do feel like they're part of a group and, and that's not going to happen this year as visually. Many counties flock to larger cities to celebrate Pride because their own locality does not hold an event. Carlo never had a Pride festival until last year. After living abroad, John Paul Payne describes why he took the initiative to launch Carlo Pride. I grew up in the 90s and came out in the 90s and like being gay back then was a very, very different thing. It was a, it was a kind of a thing that we were, we almost felt like ashamed that we, we didn't want to be publicly known as being gay people. So like that kind of stigma kind of stays inside of you. And when you go to other countries that are really liberal, you realise that people don't actually, other people don't feel that way about being gay. It's like an institutional thing here in Ireland. There was never, ever an LGBT anything in Carlo. So there was never... A night out, there was never a pride flag. We were the first people to ever have a, have a pride flag hanging in Carlo. I participated in some prides and I didn't enjoy them because I thought, God, these are like really confident gay people. I, they're not my tribe. You know, I want to find people that have the life experiences that I have. So when I came back here, you know, there was nothing in Carlo. I could see certain things going back a little bit, even though we, we had like a marriage equality vote and stuff like that. The, the feeling in the air was rural Ireland separated from the urban areas. So I thought, you know, I have these life experiences about seeing how other gay people and lesbian and trans people live in a more harmonious society. And part of that is pride. I made a Facebook page. I went to sleep the next morning, I woke up and there was like 500 likes on it. Last year was our very first pride. And locally here, people really got behind it. So we realised that there was a lot more LGBT plus people here in Harlow than we ever realised. Some people, some people were worried because it was like, 
you know, walking down the streets and revealing your true self for the first time on the streets. So we've used Cara Pride Festival as a platform to give other people a voice that they needed somewhere to, to be with people that were similar to them. And we, we included every single person. It doesn't matter who you are. It was just a good mental health day for everybody. We never thought for a moment that we would achieve so much. And the Caratown Council were blown away because they had built Caratown Park um, to be used as an amenity for things like this. And the most people have ever been able to get into that park was two or three hundred people. <laughs> so we, we actually filled it to the, what it was designed for, which was about 4,000 people. Pride in Ireland reflects just how far the Irish nation has developed in many ways. Waterford man Des O'Keefe looks back to when he first came out in 1991, pre-decriminalisation versus now. It's light years away. It came a long way in a very short period of time. I think Ireland generally, on every level, came a long way in a very short period of time. It felt a depressed country in the 80s in every way. And then suddenly it all started moving. And in the early 90s, it just took off. It was a, it was a, very, it was a very different time for people to come out than it was, you know, years ago. And Billy always used to say, and he, he was right about this, it was, it was the ordinary guy or woman who was leading just a very, very ordinary life in a country area. They've, they would have found it the most difficult, I think, of anybody. Some people still have not come out to, to family and friends and lead that almost double life. But I am baffled still today that there is still a hesitancy amongst a lot of young people to come out. You know, there's still a fear of acceptance, you know. So I think that will never go away. I think, you know, the expectations that are on people are very high. It can be a little bit of a shock maybe to find out. And some children don't want to shock their parents in that way. They don't come out, you know. So I think that, that's, that's a shame because it's a much more open world these days and they'd be surprised how much it would be accepted if they did come out. As a small country, we have made really, really huge steps in terms of, like 2015, there were, there were huge steps in, in terms of marriage equality and, and 62% of people voting yes. In the same breath, I, I think people feel like because all of these great and really positive strides are happening, that they can't sometimes speak out about how they're feeling. Yes, the country as a whole supports me, but I'm still struggling. Sometimes, you know, people would say to me, I know we have marriage equality, but that doesn't mean that I'm not struggling with who I am. And it doesn't mean that I'm not struggling telling other people that. Um, I know there was a study done I belong to in in 2018 I think and they found like in terms of young people like 50% of them are still very reluctant to open up about their mental health purely because they feel that in a a post-referendum society that they shouldn't feel like they should ask that they they need to speak out about their mental health it's almost like that they don't they, they feel like they shouldn't have any mental health problems because Ireland there's this assumption in Ireland that we have what we need when the truth is we we really don't Yes, it's really, really important to be really positive and to acknowledge the, the really big changes that have happened. Um, but I think it's also important to acknowledge the stuff that, that still needs to be worked on in, in Ireland um, and how important the work is. I love what I do and, and you have to love what you do as well. You know, the work that I do is, is not work to me. It's about supporting our own and it's about, you know, giving, giving them a voice. 
we're seeing the young person and they come in all different shapes, sizes, ways, you know, like some of them bounce in the door and they are like, I am out, I am proud, I am living my best life. And that is fantastic. But most of them don't. The teenage years are so difficult, like they're so difficult. And every young person is in that space where they're like, who am I? What am I? They're figuring out the world. They're figuring out themselves. The challenge, I think, for LGBT young people is when they're looking around, if they can't see anybody that's like them, that's a really isolating experience because they're trying to figure, like, all they want to do is fit. All they want to do is fit in and find their people and just be like, I am not on my own. I, I, I have friends who are like me. I can talk about the things that I'm interested in with people who are like me. They're not alone, but to remember that there's lots and lots of people out there like them. They're perfectly normal. There's nothing nothing wrong with being the way that they are. Uh, it's people's attitudes that need to be changed, not them. Be yourself. Don't pretend to be something you're not. We are part of every community, every town, every village. But it doesn't feel like that when it's you. Do you know, you feel like you're, oh, maybe I'm the only one. You know, you deserve support and you deserve help. And it's there. Just the thing you can put your energy in is finding that support. You're not on your own. We are here. The idea of going to an LGBT group, they're like, whoa, I'm not ready to do that. I hear that. And that's okay. But what you could do is join your local youth project because your local youth project is also a place where you'll find people who will welcome you with open arms and be there for you. And there are so many ways that you're going to not be, not only be okay, but that you are going to live such a good, happy life that you want and you'll be supported to do that. Well, it gets better, it gets easier. That's certainly what is so true and you don't believe it at the time. But I think also as well, and I know the internal battle that it goes on as a young gay person, you know, your own identity, who you are, who you're attracted to and how you fit in the world with all of that. It becomes, it's second nature. It's like learning to drive at first. You know, it's absolutely terrifying, but after a while, it's, you don't even know you're doing it. There's great help out there. And, you know, getting in touch with your community service is a great way of meeting people who are in the same boat as you, share the same interests as you, and, you know, you can have fun doing it. And it is a lovely thing to go through in one sense because, you know, you become very self-aware when you have to really look into yourself and say, who am I? And you're seeing that shone against a mirror that's different. There is people out there that, that will listen, that will listen with no judgment. So we know exactly what you're going through um, and help is there. It's a healthier place to be, to be out than it is to be in the closet, a much healthier place. But I do think it's important to talk to older people. You know, this is one of the things I would like to think that I have the support of a younger gay generation. You know, that, that's one of the things. Don't forget, you know, that it goes both ways, you know, that kind of support. The campaign is never over just because Ireland said yes, you know, to, to equal marriage. Every day the campaign continues that we have to always be look, on the lookout for our young people in our country, that we make a safe place for people to be open and honest about their identity. So you have a chance to build up your own foundation of your friends and your group, and that's your springboard for your life. For more information on services available in your area, visit belongto.org or visit our website beach102103.com.
Pathway to Pride, celebrating Pride Month on Beat 102-103.